I'm still not in the Blomp camp. Carve the author's name into my inner thigh kind of thing. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a slower reader. It's not going to get any better than that. You're talking about objective memory versus subjective memory. The punchline doesn't have the same gravity. It's just delightful and uh, comforting. He's not Zima proof. A nerd burger in Silicon Valley. The real surprise twist ending is that they still have Zima that far flung into the future. He got his superpowers from Zima. And that would be a lens of hatred. <laughs> I'm real. The, the pool was filled with Zima. Broadcasting live from outside the power band, this is The Blah. <laughs> In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, The Wolverine, along with the intrepid Jarhigo. Hey, everybody. And the always ready to go, C-Lab Forever. What's up? Folks, this week on the uh, podcast, we're going to be talking about... Well, last week I had hinted that we were going to be talking about crappy animated shorts, but in fact we're not. We're going to be talking about some really great sci-fi shorts, and I'm going to throw it right over to Algorithm to start off the show. Go. I just wanted to talk briefly about how we can structure the show so that it doesn't spoil any anything for anyone that hasn't seen um, any of the stuff we talk about. Basically, I'll make it so that there are chapter markers with each of the titles of each of the seven things we're talking about, and and then I'll uh, also have some timestamps in the show notes. So if your if your podcast player doesn't support chapters, then you can just go to the time marker that's uh, listed in the show notes. Very nice. I uh, I would just like to say that your uh, rattling off of that list was very sort of uh, Blofeld from James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> I've constructed a complex set of clues that each of you will have to follow to find each short in the list. <laughs> Is there like a laser pointed at your balls that you're trying to like get my evil plan out? Yeah, exactly. That's how I heard it anyway. Okay, so folks, we're going to be uh, talking about Love, Death, and Robots, uh, Zima Blue. And then when the yogurt took over, we're going to talk about uh, Matriculated from the Animatrix, also Beyond from the Animatrix. And then Second Renaissance 1 and 2 from the Animatrix. And then Raka by uh, Neil Blomkamp, which we touched on in the Blomkamp episode. And then we're going to wrap it up with Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, the episode titled Human Is with Brian Cranston. Cool. Chad, go. Uh, I just set some homework for everybody to read Zima Blue, the short story, which I presume you guys hadn't read before. I had not. I. <laughs> What's funny is... When we were talking about that way back, I reread it, and then I ended up watching the short. Nice. So I did it a while ago. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I did both. I enjoyed doing both. Yeah, for sure. I, I encountered this short story randomly when I was hiking. Um, I was, like, staying at a hiker hostel, and there was just, like, a sci-fi anthology book and stumbled across the, the story by Alistair Reynolds, who's one of my favorite sci-fi authors, who I think you introduced me to, Benny, back in the day. Yeah, I probably did. The uh, Revelation Space series, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if anyone here likes reading uh, sci-fi stuff and hasn't heard of or read Revelation Space or Alistair Reynolds, I'd highly recommend it. Mm, absolutely. I read that based on Ben's recommendation, and it was great and super weird. It's definitely weird. But it's great universe building, which I is kind of my obsession with sci-fi, is, is, is just like a really well-inhabited and well-thought-out weird universe. Yeah. So yeah, anyways, I ran into this into this short story back in the day in a hiker hostel and loved it so much that I like cut it out of the book, put duct tape on the the binding and like stuck it in my backpack and hiked with it for the next 5 months. 
and read it repeatedly. So wow, um, I was pretty surprised when I heard that it was being made into a short film, and I wasn't super stoked with the fact that they ended up cutting half of it out in order to fit some arbitrary time deadline. But yeah, um, it was interesting to see it in in animated form. Yeah, I I uh, really enjoyed the story of Zima Blue, and I was grossly disappointed in the animated short. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that I watched. I watched right afterward. No, I, I'm. you don't need to apologize. Whoever um, made that should apologize because they really just butchered the story. Like, the, the, the part of what's great about the story is the detail in the story. Really, any story um, is the detail in the story. And, you know, all the intricacies about that conversation that they have, you know, while they're sitting before he shows her the swimming pool is really great in the story. And then, you know, you watch the animated short and it's, it looks, it's almost like a montage, you know, like straight from the eighties, man, you know, he's like, and then I did this and then I did that. And there was a little girl, you know, and it's like, yeah, no, I feel like if, if people watched it and had never heard of the short, they probably, I think there is a lot of love for it as an episode in this series, but I, I felt like it was worth reading just because it, it is a case where the book's better than the movie, so to speak. And it's like a 15 minute read or something like that. So it's well worth giving it a shot. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a slower reader, Chad. So it wasn't 15 minutes. Sorry. It's all good. I would like to say as an animated short. So it's interesting to talk about this, the Zima blue contrast between the story and the animated short, like as an animated short, it's very cool uh, in terms of animation and visual style. Like, you know, the opening was her on the boat, which was um, not exactly like the story, but it grabbed me immediately visually. Like I'm a hyper visual person and I love like any kind of visual eye candy just makes my brain crackle, like snap, crackle and pop. And, um, I really, it really grabbed me and yanked me right in. The voiceover work was great, but the visuals themselves, which is really the main part of why I watch, you know, animated shorts and animation in general, uh, really was great, I thought. And I really liked the way that all of the animation was done in Zima Blue. I just wish they had made it match the actual story better. Yeah. So, so entering entering spoiler territory, just a super quick synopsis, it's a story of an artist who becomes interstellarly famous for his paintings, which one of which ends up with a small square of what ends up being called Zima Blue, which then grows bigger and bigger with each successive work that he does to the point where he creates like planet-sized blue murals. And the story's about a, a journalist who goes to interview him before his grand finale. And the, the grand finale is that he was, in a former life, a pool cleaner robot that was made by a, uh, a nerd burger in Silicon Valley who over time did experiments on him and turned him into a sentient pool cleaner. So it's kind of an interesting M. Night Shyamalan-style twist, which the short story is a lot better at kind of delivering, and the short animated movie is is decent, but um, well worth a check out. Definitely. I really, I mean, the really big reveal for me at the end was that I loved how the pool tiles were the Zima blue color, and that he was diving into a pool filled with... <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. <laughs> Shit. 
<laughs> can, I, can I give you a little help here? Yeah, the buildup was really good there too. Go ahead, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> the the pool was filled with Zima. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where the fuck are you going with this? <laughs> I was trying to make it good, man. So. You've been saving that joke for an entire week and you couldn't you couldn't deliver. No, I actually just cry I just, just uh ground that one up right now. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't hold it together. It must be the time of the day. I have no idea. Oh my god. The 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 real the real surprise twist ending is that they still have Zima that far flung into the future. <laughs> And it was the Zima inside of his circuitry that actually killed him because yeah. he's waterproof. He's not Zima-proof. <laughs> no, it wasn't the Zima in the circuitry that killed him. It was the Zima that sparked his sentience originally, a la a radioactive spider. So he that he got his superpowers from Zima. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it, folks. And Thank that's you. That's it. <laughs> we'll see you next week on the podcast. <laughs> oh my god, it's not going to get any better than that. It really isn't, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the um, I'm curious about the like the big reveal. Uh, the first time you guys encountered the big reveal, how did it hit you? Or was it like a oh that's interesting, or was it like a holy shit? Because for me, it was just like a that's genius, and I cut it out of the book and carve the author's name into my inner thigh kind of thing <laughs> i agree it was like that for me too I, I just thought it was great you know i didn't see it coming you know it's not it's not that it it was i mean that that sort of device has been used before but you know clearly he's the originator or one of the originators and um it was a great reveal i loved it yeah i think it was really good great reveal yeah but the one thing they don't talk about in this short film is the other half of the story, which is really sort of a reflection of what's going on with Zima. There's a reporter who is who has been who gets gets an interview with Zima finally, but she's not allowed to take this like device with her that records all of her memory because people at this point in time are quite long lived. So they have like supplemental device recording your memory and it sort of like just helps you along through life. You know, like if you're at a party and somebody's like, oh, it's like white or red wine, it'll give you a suggestion. And it's like always right because it knows you so well. Right. So the the fact that she's that there's there's something to it that in the actual short story that he asks her to not bring that in because he's trying to make a point about, you know, what it is to be human and memory and, you know, what 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 life is, how you color your memories and how that changes life in general. So that's the part that the the short film completely misses. Like they just completely ignore that part of the story. And it kind of ruins it because that's, you know, there's like a, a balance between Zima returning to the pool and her sort of deciding whether or not to continue without that device. And really the most important part of the story, like that that's what I meant by the intricacies of the conversation before they go to the mm. swimming pool. It's mm. like... You're talking about objective memory versus subjective memory. You know, like the AM is, it's outside of you. And he's making this huge case for neural implants, which integrate with your biological memory, you know? And he's like, so it's part and, of he And like degrade like memories do, et cetera. Exactly. So it's like, you know, that's, it's part of the experience, you know, whereas the AM is like, it's an, it's an outside observer, you know, it's an outside recorder. So it's never the same thing, which I thought was super cool. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I liked most about it 
from you know, just like as a storytelling device was the idea of like the audience at the pool not getting it and so it like really captured that like famous artist no one really understands what the hell's going on they're just kind of baffled by the whole thing and so her being brought in to be taught a lesson which kind of helps her to understand the whole thing was such a core component of the story it was a, it was an odd thing to to cut out no it was a totally odd thing to cut out it's like sort of the essence of the story i mean most science fiction stories are really mirroring and talking about the human condition in some way shape or form and it's like this is a literally (laughs) pun intended perfect example of that and they like completely eviscerated the story in the animated short like that's why i made my comment about the animate like sort of talking about it just the animation earlier because you have to because if you don't, there's really, there's really not a lot left there, man. Like, it's just a montage. Yeah, and the, the punchline doesn't have the same gravity. Yeah. No, it doesn't have the same gravity at all. It's like, she's like, oh, I'm going to see Zima Blue, and it's so cool. And it's like, they, you miss so many layers of detail with the AM and the whole thing, and like the, you know, Zima being so mysterious, and her describing, you know, him and all of the, you know, the various different things that he's done, you know, change his body and all of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw a an interview with the people that that did it and they were saying that they had like an 8 or 9 minute deadline in in terms of like maximum length. So it was kind of like they were forced to cut a lot of stuff out. So I have some sympathy, but at the same time the creators like you know, the the people that produced the series putting an artificial deadline on a series that has no time limit. I mean, maybe it was budgetary, but it just seems like a strange thing to do. Yeah, I agree. I think they really nailed the color. How about you? Yeah. Yes. That that was how I envisioned it being. <laughs> yeah, that's how I envisioned it as well. Um yeah, it was exactly how I I envisioned the color too, for sure. I liked it in the in the short story where she was saying like she held up his business card which was Zima blue to the sky and she's like I couldn't tell if it was the sky color or the ocean color and I thought that was a great descriptor. I know, I know, I know. And and not only that but they made it sound like it was, you know, scientifically engineered with all sorts of algorithms and all these hey. different things and it was like this its own special color and like, you know, it just turns out it's just pool tile blue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so great, man. That's a perfect segue to my my kind of final thought, which was I just love the idea of of this, you know, quote unquote, legendary artist who has this itch that he can't figure out how to scratch. And it's just like this color gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's making planet sized murals trying to dig into his psyche and figure out what the hell is this itch. And oh, I think it was a really, wow. really mind blowing way to explore the idea of like what a fucking pool cleaning robot would actually be thinking if it was sentient. You know, like it's. It's fascinating to to have like an interplanetary gigantic mural be the thing that kind of fills the void of just floating around cleaning fucking flies off a pool. Mm. Wow, you really just blew my mind there. Yeah, that was great. Well, he's he's just trying to go home the entire time, you know. His his memory his memory from when he was like when he first came online or whatever is just living in this universe of that color and that's all there was, you know. So it's like he's trying to get back there the entire time. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, Kev, it's it's a, a style of twist that's used a lot. But I think the 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 simplicity of the the pool robot and the Zima blue color 
is just a beautiful use case of that type of twist. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. Um, I just have like one more quick thing to add before we move on. Uh, for fans of Alistair Reynolds, there's also a short in uh, Love, Death and Robots, and it is uh, Beyond the Aquila Rift, which is also based on a short story by Alistair Reynolds. And uh, we opted we opted not to talk about it this time, but maybe we'll talk about it another time. Oh, nice. Did did that? That one's worth a read before a watch, too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. I want to do that this week. I'm excited. Yeah. And if, if you're interested in, in Alistair Reynolds, Revelation Space is a trilogy, and a lot of his other books take place in the Revelation Sp- Space universe. But if a trilogy is a little bit too big uh, of a commitment, then the prefect is a good starting point for um, his his writing style as well. He's also got a lot of uh, books of short stories. Um, I know, Chad, you found yours uh, copy in an anthology, but he has uh, he actually has a book full of his short stories called Zima Blue, and that has a lot of great short stories in it. And then uh, I, th- I think he has a couple more, but the one that's popping into my head is uh, Diamond Do- uh, Diamond Days, Diamond Dogs and Diamond Diamond Dogs and Turquoise Days that's is it. really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's another one that's uh, full of short stories. So if you're not into the you know if you're into the brevity thing, that's for you. <laughs> Mm, no, I'll check that out for sure. Um, when the yogurt took over. Yeah, I just chucked this one in because I thought it was funny and it gave me a chuckle. It's goofy. It's definitely a funny one. I uh, I f- don't have a lot to say on it. You know, um, it's uh, voiced by Brain from Pinky and the Brain, which I enjoyed a lot. Yes, I enjoyed that as well. I didn't realize that that's who it was until you put that in that uh, in that note earlier. But it's like a funny kind of piss take on... You know, Terminator, Skynet, Matrix, kind of when the robots take over. But it ain't robots. It's a fucking cup of yogurt, which is hilarious. Absolutely. And I, I, I also like that it's, I mean, to me, the thing that jumped out was like just the simple fact of something as completely simple and basic like that taking over the world and the human race, you know, which, which sort of like, you know, comments on how pathetic the human race is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a good kind of satirical take on the, you know, the singularity AI taking over story that we all know and love um, and perhaps is uh, a little overdone these days, but it was an interesting way to throw it together and definitely funny. I think if it was like 20 minutes instead of six minutes, I would probably be hating the hell out of it. But the fact, the fact that it was so so short and sweet no pun intended, was just great. Yeah. Yeah, I liked the the format was good and the length was good as well. I agree with you, Chad. And the animation too. Like this animation choice was like really stupid animation, which like was perfectly fitting. Yeah, I thought it was as well. I really liked it. I didn't realize it, but it's based on a short story by John Scalzi, who was the author of Old Man's War, amongst other things, which was an interesting discovery when I was reading up on it today. I'm not familiar with that work or that uh, author, but oh yeah, I didn't I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me because John Scalzi has a pretty good sense of humor. Yeah, there's a lot of funny stuff in his stories. So and and sort of you know uh, satirical satirical is not the word I'm looking for, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. I don't have much more to say on this. So for the sake of closure, just a brief synopsis: it's scientists working on yogurt and end up making it sentient, and it. Uh, negotiates with stupidity in the Oval Office to uh, take over Ohio and uh, solve the global financial crisis, which is a perfect, it was a really funny little scene where it's like, here's the solution to the national debt. You have to do it exactly as planned. And the president's like, yeah, of course we will. And you know, all these politicians are going to do something stupid or something wrong. 
and then they like cut it cuts to like the end of you know society and destitution <laughs> it's just really funny Except for Ohio. Except for Ohio. Which is the best part. And then, and then they take over the world and uh, get bored a la Scarlett Johansson in her and launch into orbit in giant yogurt cups. Like, it's just a fucking hilarious short. I love that. I know. I love that. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. A really good piss take on the genre in general. The reason, um, if we're finishing up talking, do you have anything else to say about yogurt? I don't. Like, nope. it's, it's, I just recommend everybody watch it. It's six minutes of your life. You can't go wrong. I put When the Yogurt Took Over ahead of Animatrix because I thought it's a perfect segue. Um, Absolutely. I agree. In the sense that it's essentially like a, a rival meets the Matrix. So it's just like a perfect, shitty, <laughs> silly version of, of what the Matrix was trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Especially the second Renaissance one and two. Like, yeah. It's like the same story. <laughs> Just in shorter six minute form with yogurt. Yeah. It, next stop for us is Animatrix. Oh, man. Ben, do you want to you wanna start off talking about Matriculated? Yeah, sure. This was one that I suggested. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Peter Chung's Dude, work. Love Peter Chung. He's a great, he's a great animator. Uh, all the Eon Flux stuff is great. Um, he even did a uh, an animated short for uh, one of our favorite movies, Kev, The Chronicles of Riddick. Ooh. Oh, that's right. Dark Fury. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. So, yeah, I really love this one. I think it's uh, it's just so trippy. You know? Yes. And uh, it's very Peter Chung. <laughs> it's very it's very Peter Chung. What else can you say? What do you guys think? Yeah, similar. I think I remember watching it when the images came out. Now, I wasn't really struck by it as much uh, at the time, uh, probably because of my anticipation for the second and third movies, which weren't out yet. So I was I was much more in the second renaissance kind of headspace. Mm. But um, I've always been a huge fan of Peter Chung and, and watching it now, you know, a decade plus later, I definitely have an appreciation for it. And it was definitely trippy. It was an interesting idea of uh, flipping the Sentinels and other robots brilliant idea go ahead ben yeah yeah and I, I love the i love the way that they do it too you know like it's like they bring you know we guess we're getting in we're already getting into a little bit of spoiler territory here but um there's a group of people living on the surface in the world of the matrix um and they're capturing sentinels and what they do is they hook them up and they bring them into this dreamscape sort of uh, like their human dreamscape and try to essentially i guess convince the robot that it's one of them so that the robot goes out and fights so it's that's where it gets really trippy is, you know, you have this, uh, you know, sentient machine that's like sort of being changed by these people with by using this sort of like shared dream space. Really cool stuff. I, I, I also thought like, OK, so, yeah, it, that's exactly right. But I, I, I want to add to that. I think that it's also that they are teaching the robots and I it could be that I read this somewhere and it just sort of seeped into my brain but mm-hmm. they were teaching the robots about love and empathy so like truly the opposite of what the 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 robots do you know what I mean like they plug everybody in it's very mechanical it's all about using humans as a power source and it's like they were taking the robots and showing them what love and empathy was all about essentially making them more human as opposed to making humans more robotic so it was like almost the literal opposite and then also you know through that they you know turning them to fight against the machines themselves and I was drawn into this one. Like, I wasn't interested in it. Like Chad said, I kind of was 
like I had played the game, like the movie came out and then I played the game, which was great. And this came out and I was really more interested in, in unearthing like more of the backstory about the matrix and anything related to, to the direct story of the matrix. And this one jumped out at me because it was Peter Chung, you know, like I had watched Aeon Flux on liquid television on MTV and I was super into that. He's just yeah. great. His animation it's style is so cool. Yeah. The way the characters move in Aeon Flux, like just in really in anything that he does is just really, really great. So that's what drew me into it. And I'm, I'm glad that that did happen because I think I probably would have brushed it to the side otherwise. And now rewatching it, you know, I feel the same way. Like it's such a great story. Yeah, for sure. Flipping the whole thing on its head and really it's the most unique story in all of the Animatrix stories. You know, it's like a, it just inhabits its own little corner and it's, it's very cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it has sprinklings of Aeon Flux. And just to be, to be clear so that uh, people don't write me like, what the hell are you thinking about on Twitter? Uh, Aeon Flux is a masterpiece in the sense of the non-speaking liquid television shorts only the the series afterwards and the movie afterwards can just you know no eat a bag but um yeah i agree yeah peter chung's style is so unique to him in terms of the visuals and also like you know hypersexuality kind of orgiastic you know undertones or i mean they're not even undertones they're like overtones <laughs> but um it was interesting to see the, the the matrix world combined with like an aeon flux style yeah, I thought it was interesting that he like came up with his own designs for the Sentinels. Mm, that, yes. you, know, you never saw in any of the movies. So the runners, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I thought that was neat too, man. And the idea of I think like one of the more unique ideas, which I think you were touching on a second ago, Kev, was the in the Matrix films, they're computer hackers that hack out of the Matrix, and it's all about like brute force hacking and brute force gunfighting and et cetera, et cetera. And in this case, it's like they're not hacking these these machines. They're going into them and trying to convince them to be good. And, and it, you know, like you could imagine exactly the same short film with pretty much the same content where instead of running into a orgiastic dreamscape to convince the machine to join their team, they just like type a bunch of shit in the keyboard and it turns from red lights to green lights and goes out and fights a million things. But I think that additional stuff really added a, a great layer to it. Right, but they're also teaching them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of uh, unique ideas in the Matrix universe, your other recommendation, Benny, was uh, was uh, another really unique episode. Yeah. Wow, nice segue, Chad. Really nice segue. <laughs> hey, man, I ride that motherfucker all over town. Yeah, you really are, man. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about this because I was much less interested in the, the first and second Renaissance and the more directly related stuff. I liked the stuff that was a little more uh, to the outside and like peripheral stories, if you will. So here we go. Yeah, Beyond, uh, I just, I love that one. Like there's something about that one that is, it's just delightful and uh, comforting, you know, like, mm the art style the just the story the kids you know the whole thing is kind of you know after after you've like been assaulted by the the first and second renaissance and then you watch that it's like it's just such a different kind of a story it's it's just so whimsical and and just beautiful beautifully done mm, whimsical is a good word it is a good word they sort of take a concept that was explored in the films and then they 
take it and they put it in a different corner of the universe. You know, the, the, the concept being a glitch in the matrix. So the very first glitch we saw was when Neo sees the black cat twice in the movie. And yeah. this is essentially the same thing. It's like a crack in the matrix and it's making all of the uh, disassociated algorithms are making all of the laws of physical reality completely different in this one area. And it's just so cool. Yeah. It's definitely one of the ones that struck me quite strongly when I was first introduced to the Animatrix back in the day. So I'm with you, Ben, all the way. It was it was one of the better ones for sure. And the the playfulness of it was really fantastic. And I just like the idea of kind of like a day in the life where to a teenage or 20-something girl loses her cat and stumbles on some neighborhood kids that take her to this place that is the glitch of the matrix and and the and the hilarity and silly stuff that they do that has no real plot value but like is just a visual and kind of like experiential delight it's definitely definitely a really special short film which stands really well on its own yeah absolutely yeah, I, lo- I love that the kids just, you know, it seems like the kids have discovered this place and that they're just, you know, the longer they've they've been there, the more they've figured out that they can do. And they're just, you know, it's like they're exploring this sort of haunted house. Yeah. Playground kind of thing. Uh, yeah, really just in the animation style, I can't it, it's just it's just so beautifully done. Like I just remember there's this one shot where it's like a almost like a fisheye lens kind of thing. And the cat sort of does like, she's the whole thing is she's looking for her cat, but the cat kind of comes into the frame of the camera and like turns around and like walks away again. But it's just, it's really interesting animation that they decided to sort of go with this shot that looks like uh, they used a fisheye lens, you know? Yes. Yes. Very cool. And also I, I, I want to go back to your, you said at the beginning, Ben, that this is a very comforting story in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways. And I think part of that for me was the kids being such a huge part of the story. Like for us anyway, I can't speak to the kids today, but you know, going around and exploring where you live and finding cool places like that, like I think that that's such a part of being a kid and watching them. It sure was for me. Yeah, for me too. And and watching them have fun, you know, finding all these cool, interesting, different things going on there. I mean, my God, if I found that sort of thing as a kid, I'd be flipping my lid. I'd be there like every single day. I'm like, that's just so cool. So that was part of the comfort for me. Uh, yes, the animation style is comforting as well as this animator worked on a classic of animation, which I'm sure we're going to end up talking about in the future, which is Akira. So, Yeah, it was interesting that he was an animator in Akira. Well, I suppose if he was an animator and not like a creator of Akira, it would be why the visual style was a little bit different. Because the the kids, especially in this one, really reminded me of the animation style of um, the gorillas characters from the, from the band. Yes, mm-hmm. it did. That's right. I'm just going to see if Jimmy Google can see who did the gorillas. <laughs> Dude, Jimmy Google is asleep at this hour. Oh, wow. Jamie Hewlett, the creator of Tank Girl, was the animator or creator of the gorilla stuff. So it's a really interesting and similar style. But just when I was rewatching it, it just jumped out at me as a, as a kind of a similar flavor to that style. Yeah, but that's sort of like a, I, I hate to say this, and I, I could be wrong, but in my brain, like that's a very Japanese looking style of yeah, yeah, fair. animation slash artwork. So I'm not surprised that the two look similar, you know? Yeah. 
All right, let's move on to the second Renaissance, Renaissance, a uh, second Renaissance part one and two. Yeah, let me let me take uh, take point on that one. I'm not sure how you guys were introduced to Animatrix back in the day, but for me, I was a uh, me and friend of the show Sam King and also friend of the show Brian uh, Leonard were all in a construction company. Like we started a construction company, and we were like roofing houses and just like you know normal building stuff and. We're obsessed, like completely obsessed with The Matrix and the upcoming films. And we just talk about it all day, every day, basically. And somebody found that the Animatrix was coming out and the way that it was being released was four of the episodes were going to be released on the web, one a week. So the the delay between watching them was a really powerful kind of thing where you just like watch the one episode like 15 times kind of thing, you know? Did you guys have that same interaction or were you more when it released on dvd i randomly found it on dvd and i was ecstatic when i did find it and i I don't remember what order that came in like if it was after the matrix after enter the matrix or after matrix reloaded yeah it was it was between matrix one and matrix two so it was like a hype machine to get people hyped up for the the second matrix film Right. No, I just don't remember where I found it. If oh, I found I see, it before I, I played the game or if it was right after the movie or what. But I remember finding it and being like, wow, this is super cool, man. Especially Flight of the Osiris, because again, like directly related to the story, you know. I, I didn't you know, I didn't appreciate the outlier stories until later. Yeah, and Flight of the Osiris was evidently like shown in cinemas in front of the movie Dreamcatcher. So it was like they paid for it to be released as kind of like a short film before a, a, a theatrical release. So there were the four episodes released on the web one week at a time, and then Flight of the Osiris was in theaters, and then it led up to the release of the second film. So for me, you know, Second Renaissance being one of the four um, episodes, or two of the four episodes, I suppose, really made it like a special viewing for me because, like, you know, you watch the first one, Second Renaissance Part 1, and we, I, we would – we would stop construction and like at lunch we'd go and like, you know, watch the thing over and over at Brian's house and like eat lunch. You know what I mean? So it was like, a, it, it was an interesting time kind of in the internet and kind of the way media was released and, and similar to how beyond was like exploring similar spaces to how we used to go and play out in the woods and stuff. Like mm. from what I understand, kids these days don't get out, out into the woods and, and explore like we had the luxury of and similarly second renaissance like weekly web release random you know pre-internet style or kind of pre-social media maybe is a better way pre-social media style of releases and information it was a it was a super interesting way for for them to generate hype for the matrix films absolutely and showing how they got to where they were in the world of the matrix was perfect. I mean, it's, it's just backstory. Yeah. And I know that you're more of a fan of the second and third films than I am, but for me, I kind of, I kind of prefer the second Renaissance one and two short films to the second and third films. Like I'd almost rather have matrix one and the second Renaissance shorts and then be done with the whole thing, (laughs) which I, I realize is a bit of a, a curmudgeonly thing to say, but I, I really have a, a, a lot of admiration for what they were able to accomplish in like two five minute videos. Yeah. 
I'm with you, Chad. Uh, the I'm really not so into the second and third movies. Um, you know, when the second one came out, I think I was kind of, I don't know, just psyched that there was a new Matrix movie out more than I actually enjoyed the film. And it wasn't until later that I was like, eh, I kind of don't know if I like this all that much. And then by the time the third one came out, I was just not as interested. So these shorts, I I think I agree, are a little higher quality storytelling than, than that, even though they're short. They're really, really well done. And as far as how I was introduced to the Animatrix, I think I was, you know, I mean, I wasn't working with you and those those guys, but, you know, we definitely hung out a fair amount. And I remember I remember hearing about it. I think I wanted to check it out online. But at that time, like I just had a shit Internet connection or something. And it was like painfully slow to like get it to download or just stream. So I didn't really watch them until I got my hands on a DVD somewhere. I don't remember where. But yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I appreciate most about Second Renaissance is like, even though it was too short, you know, five minute shorts or whatever, or eight minute shorts or or however long they are, there's some really powerful stuff in there. You know, I specifically remember it in the first episode where they're, you know, the humans are, are destroying all the robots. And there's this like woman being like pushed around and beat up by a group of dudes in the street. And it turns out she's a robot and gets like, you know, she's partially nude from the assault and then gets a sledgehammer to the head. And it's just the last thing is her being like, I'm real, you know, it's just like, holy shit, man. This is just super heavy stuff in there, and I think it was really effective and really powerful. Yeah. Oh, it was really heavy, dude. Yeah, no, the blood and guts, and I don't, I mean that metaphorically and literally, are very in your face in those two stories. They do not pull any punches in showing, like, the horribleness of the human race and how they got the robots to where they were, you know? And when you watch it, you're almost like, I get it. You deserved it. Like... You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we did it to ourselves. Exactly right. Especially nowadays, you know, with the political climate the way it is globally, with just the amount of ridiculousness, you know, Brexit or whatever, um, just all of these decisions that are being made around the world where you're just scratching your head as to how people and societies have gotten themselves into these positions, it sheds a totally different light on the, like, I know how we'll kill the robots, let's darken the sky for eternity you know because <laughs> like in 2003 when you see it you're like okay i guess i could see how dumb you know humanity would be but now it's just like totally plausible you know <laughs> like i could totally see a group of politicians or whatever making that decision on our behalf well i i think the current equivalent of that and i really do not want to spend any time on it i think it's a great and a great comparison though is like i read uh article or saw a headline rather of an article i think the title was something to the effect of what are we going to do about colonizing mars and i'm like colonizing mars are you kidding me why don't we spend some time trying to make sure everybody's got something to eat and healing the planet and about a zillion other things before we just be like ah we already burned this one out let's go to the next one yeah yeah, the whole global warming, ignoring global warming thing is an interesting... Uh, exactly, man. Interesting corollary. Right. It's like, yeah, let's just make the skies dark, and then it won't matter. And it's like, wait, uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> just utter stupidity. Well, so often in these, these movies, you know, like Terminator, it's like, oopsie, we made a robot that takes us takes over the world, tee-hee. And, and this one, it's just like, 
the robots come to humans in the United Nation are like, we want to live side by side, and we're like, fuck you guys, and then just like, yeah, nuke them from orbit, you know, and which which really really kind of like they they keep sh- like kind of hitting you in the face with the fact that the human race is so stupid because once zero one comes into existence and they're like oh we want to live peacefully they were like yeah no way and they keep trying and we keep saying no like yeah yeah xenophobia and stuff we created you yeah it's so indicative of of like the way we are as a group sometimes yeah most of the time. <laughs> It's crazy. It was just like a a really powerful short film and uh, really just like was a gut punch at the time and and got me so hyped with the movies that unfortunately I I didn't uh, hit home for me, but great short. Let's go to Raka. Raka. By Neil Blomkamp. Raka. We talked about this in the Blomkamp episode. Chad suggested that we watch this <laughs> my favorite part about talking about this in the rocket uh, talking about this in the neil blomkamp episode was you and i spoke about it for like two minutes and <laughs> and then ben we're like oh what do you think ben maybe we should move on because you haven't seen it and ben's like yeah anything would be better listening to you two knuckleheads keep talking about this fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments That's exactly right it was actually uh no, it was even better than that. <laughs> what he said. I think it ended up as a sizzle reel in the beginning of the show. But yeah, that was, that was the best part of talking about Rocco. <laughs> that comment. It's just like the viciousness with which you were unimpressed with us discussing something you hadn't seen. It was so good. <laughs> no, I didn't see it. Yeah, anything be better than listening to you two talk about this nerdy, that's what he said, nerdy <laughs> sci-fi shorts. That's what it was. So we figured we'd bring it back, you know, and make you watch it and yeah. suffer through talking about it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Now that I've seen it, I'm still not in the Blomp Camp. Now that you see it, <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Sigourney Weaver could not save it for me. No, I think sorry. One of the problems that I have with short films, generally speaking, is so often it's either I want them to be a feature length film or they're like trying to get funding to become a feature length film as opposed to just being a short film, you know, so it's kind of difficult sometimes to thread the needle and actually make an effective short. So this is an example of, of, you know, fishing for funding to make a movie as opposed to it being like a short film. But um, I like the idea. I like the idea, too, but I think it's also difficult. Like, if you've got a big idea, it's hard to, like, figure out what you're going to put into the short. You know what I mean? Like, you have to leave so much stuff out. It's like... Oh, pff, tell me about it. I have to fucking cut an hour-long show down to a 30-second ad every week, and it, I don't have the talent, I'll tell you what. It's fucking hard. Mm. Oh, we know that, dude. <laughs> I mean that it's hard. Oh, not that I don't have any talent. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, folks, syntax is everything and timing is everything. That's it. Um, so I I already said... that That'll be my death. <laughs> there you go right there. I really like this film. I, I like the... I get why Ben doesn't like it. I mean, I can see why. I, I just thought the, the visuals were really good. Uh, they really made up a lot of it for me. I like that it just wasn't so cookie cutter in terms of like aliens coming and taking over the world and like all of that. I mean, there was a lot of reused themes there, but I really dug the, the aliens themselves and their tech 
seemed fairly well fleshed out in this, you know, 20 minute little film, which I, which I really liked. And, and the visuals were great. As we said in the Blomkamp episode, Neil Blomkamp started off as a 3D animator and it shows because he does the 3D animation and the directing on his films and it's great. It was a big, it was a swing and a miss for you, Benny. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Um, you know, some of the visual effects were cool. Uh, it just didn't, didn't hit for me. It kind of felt like it, it felt like it played like, like an extended trailer for a movie that I didn't get to see, you know? Yep. Yep. That's pretty much exactly what it was. You know what I'm saying? Like it's sort of, yeah, it's like it, the way it glossed over things sort of with a broad stroke was, was, it's just, it was just a bit of a bizarre watch, I think. And, uh, you know, it was interesting, but it didn't really resonate with me personally. But also, much like the Batman Joker stuff, uh, you know, you guys have, have fatigued me of these things now. And and uh, unfortunately, I'm probably looking at these. I probably looked at this with a, a certain lens. Uh, that, sure. <laughs> you know, with a certain bias. The bias of God damn you guys making me watch this fucking stupid short just kidding. <laughs> and that would be a lens of hatred. <laughs> well, I don't remember which movie it was. Maybe it was when we were talking about The Fifth Element last week, but you mentioned either talking, either watching The Fifth Element or watching something similar, where because it was for the show, you were you were analyzing it instead of enjoying it. And I, I do think that's a factor, you know? Like, I do think that doing a show as opposed to just talking in a living room over beers with your with your buds it, it it definitely causes you to approach it differently yeah for certain definitely as much as you want the show to just be a natural conversation like you do end up analyzing things more for sure or not you but i mean like we probably do yeah it's it, i try to keep it conversational you know um i feel like it's it's interesting when we're it's more interesting when we're kind of riffing off of what so if somebody comes up with something interesting and then we're riffing off of that as opposed to we're being a little meta here but you know sometimes i feel like we're all just kind of waiting for our our turn to you know throw our angle out there um not not to be rude to each other but it's just like you're trying to remember what you wanted to say and you know it has a tendency to push the conversation in directions that aren't natural yeah yeah no it's it's true enough in the case of this thing, I was just blomp camped out, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's all it was. <laughs> blomp camped out, man. I think it's a good, it's a good, uh, a, a good short to get a little meta on in terms of the how we make the show because it isn't really a short film. It's like you said, it's like a meta trailer. So it's it's not quite. Yeah, the only reason it was on the list is because it was interesting visually, and you. Uh, bludgeoned Kevin I to death over it in the episodes. I thought it would be worth, you know, <laughs> revisiting the uh, the beating. We deserved it to be fair, you know. We we did yeah, make him fun. watch three Neil Blomkamp movies against his will. Totally. <laughs> and then, yeah, even more. And so, then okay. the twenty minutes short. At least it wasn't all of the shorts. Yeah, like all yeah. of Oat Studio stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and for the folks at home, if you didn't get this in the Blomkamp episode, go to, what's the name of his studio again, Chad? I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, Oats Studio. Oats Studio has all of Blomkamp's... YouTube, a YouTube channel. The YouTube channel, sorry, has all of Blomkamp's sci-fi shorts. There's some really great stuff in there, so check it out. Or some really not great stuff if you're in the Jarhigo camp. Yeah. So, all right, folks, we were going to talk about 
Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, the episode Human Is, starring Brian Cranston, but we are out of time this week on the podcast. That's right. We don't have our usual four and a half hours to sit here and grind on about stuff. So we're going to throw that segment into another episode, possibly the beginning, or shoehorn it back into this one. And we're going to have to wrap it up for now. I really enjoyed talking about these sci-fi shorts, these animated shorts, I, I thought it was a great little departure and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. If, uh, if you have any random shorts that you think we should watch and maybe talk about alongside human is it'd be, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. We could just, uh, you know, get some more, uh, material together and do another one of these episodes about shorts. If people are digging it, why don't we just make this a two parter and, and we'll just release him as a double header back to back. Yeah. Why don't we do that? Let's do human is we can spend some time talking about that. And then, um, you know, whatever you've gotten, I'm going to watch love death and robots. I'm going to try to watch more of them and see okay. if any of those jump out at me and I'll, I'll throw it into the mix. Yeah. That Aquila rift one that Ben was talking about. Yeah, there you go. Perfect, man. That sounds really, really cool. Folks. We're as Chad said, we're going to be talking about continue talking about animated shorts next week. So please tune in for that. And thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on another time. Love you long time. Latris on the Menje. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about more sci-fi shorts as we enjoyed doing it so much this week. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 29. You can shoot us questions using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. That's M-O-H-L-V-E-R-I-N-E. Chad is at Chad Normal on Twitter. Ben is at Jarhego on Twitter. That's J-A-R-H-E-E-G-O. I'd like to take a minute and thank you all so much for tuning into the show. It really means so much to me and the boys. If you'd like to support the show, there are two great ways you can do it. First, by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast widgets. Or you can tell someone to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly effective. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.